please note that the contents of model mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on model mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, a psychiatrist and mental health advocate. And I'm Bridget Malcolm, an international fashion model. And this is Model Mentality. We created this podcast to open up the dialogue about mental health in the fashion industry by exploring the lives of models through the lens of their personal mental health experience. Each episode, we will invite a leading fashion model to sit down to chat, going behind the visual imagery and what you may know of their external life to take a deeper dive into who is actually behind the mask and at the real struggles these models have faced. And in our Let's Get Clinical segment, I'll explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Because at the end of the day, we are all human and our struggles are universal. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast and tell all your friends about model mentality. Please note this podcast is strictly for educational purposes only, and please consult your own provider for any mental health issues you may be facing. This episode, we are very excited to be speaking to Emily DiDonato. Emily is best known for her work as the face of Maybelline, a role she has had for 10 years. Her career has taken her from the pages of Sports Illustrated to the runway for brands like Chanel and Balmain and onto the covers of many magazines, including Vogue and Elle. What you might not know is that when Emily moved to New York 10 years ago at the age of 18, she was told by modeling agencies that she was too curvy and athletic to model. At that point, Emily resorted to extreme measures to fit into the industry expectations of her, losing 20 pounds in a couple of weeks. In 2019, Emily decided to go public on her YouTube channel about body image issues that she has been facing. We are excited by the opportunity to explore with Emily her personal story around body image, identity, eating habits and more. So really stoked to welcome Emily here today. It's going to be a good conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. This is my first podcast ever. So I'm excited to be here. And I think this is a really positive thing. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for coming, man. All right. So I'm going to start off. I kind of, so you grew up in upstate New York, right? I did. Yeah. Whereabouts? Only about an hour and a half north of here. Um, it, in kind of like the Hudson Valley area. So it wasn't far, but it wasn't close enough that I came to the city often or anything like that. I was, it was kind of like a commuter town, but not. Yeah. Cool. How would you describe growing up in a town like that? Well, it was funny because it was close enough to the city that people were commuters, like I just said, but a lot of my town was mostly like blue, blue collar people, like um, firefighters, cops. My father was a New York City firefighter. So it was a small town, like very simple. Everyone knew each other, but I loved it because it was great, like huge open spaces. I grew up, grew up across the street from a farm. Like it was a pretty perfect way to grow up, if I think about it. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And then to have New York like a stone's throw away, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, I didn't start coming to New York until I started modeling. So it was still as new to me as it probably is for most people who come to this Manhattan for the first time. I think people think they're like, you're from New York, like Manhattan. I'm like, New York is a massive state. <laughs> There's a lot of area to cover. Um, so but Manhattan was a whole new ball game when I moved here for sure. I bet. Um, what was your favorite subject in school? 
Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. I feel like I really liked English and writing, um, more so the writing part than like the the English part. I'm like, my punctuation still needs work. <laughs> um, but I always really liked creative writing. That's something that I still really like today. I really admire like your blog and what you do there. But writing is a really great outlet. Cool. Yeah. It's funny. In, in high school, my final score for English literature in year 12 was 51%. <laughs> I was not good at English in school at all. But it's funny. Once you grow up, you realize you're better at things than you think. Yeah, I actually like went back and reread all my texts from year 12. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I was such a brat. I didn't want to do anything. Yeah, (laughs) that's funny. Um, So what did you want to be growing up? Before you like started modeling. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, actually, like when I was in my junior year of high school and I, that is when I started modeling and everyone was kind of thinking about what they wanted to be and what they wanted to do. And I went to a private school actually, but I was never extremely academic, not because I couldn't be, I just didn't grow up in a family that was very academic and it wasn't really pushed. Like I said, my dad was a firefighter. My brother was a cop. My parents did not go to college. Like it just wasn't on the radar for me to even go to college. And I didn't really think about what I wanted to be when I grew up that much. I didn't know, which is why sometimes I think my modeling career was such a blessing because it hit me. And then I was kind of like, well, I can try this because there's no big alternative plan. Um, So I truly, truly did not No, like I was like, maybe I'll be a personal trainer or a yoga teacher or something like that, because I always liked health and wellness and fitness and played a lot of sports. But aside from that, I was just like, who the heck knows? Mom, I'm going to be a stay at home kid for the rest of my life. (laughs) Actually, let's circle around to sport, because I read that you were on an all boys hockey team. Yes. And you have your yoga teacher instructor now, right? Yeah. That's so cool. How like how important is physical wellness to your like mental well-being? Like, how does it tie into your life now? I mean, it's so important. I mean, I grew up playing sports from the minute I could walk. I had an older brother and an older sister. My brother started playing hockey, and then I just wanted to do anything that he did. So then I started playing hockey, and I also played soccer and lacrosse and basketball all the way up until my senior year of high school. But, you know, playing sports was always just something that I thrived at. It was something that I was good at. It was something that I loved. I think I didn't realize the connectivity to it to my mental health at the time. I was just like, when I'm like in a game or playing a sport, I'm in total flow state. I just was, there was nothing else to think about. It was just winning or getting a goal or getting a, a, a point, whatever it may be. But now today I realize more so that like those things had such a positive impact on my mental health and my stress levels and anxiety and just overall wellness. So it's so important though. Like I work out every single day, not, not anymore to like look good. And I'm sure we'll get into this later. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just because it makes me feel really, really good. Cool. What are your, some of your favorite workouts? I love lifting weights and I love, I do a lot of walking and lifting weights and yoga. And it's funny, I didn't start getting into lifting weights until way later in life. And we'll probably also get into this later and Bridget, I'm sure you know this, but I always veered away from lifting weights because I was afraid of putting on quote unquote muscle. Like models were not supposed to be muscular. And so I was always like, oh no, I can only do like Pilates and yoga and like swim. There was a very specific prescription as to what we were supposed to do for our work 
workouts and mm-hmm. this still exists. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I started going to a trainer at Equinox and I met my husband who lifted weights and he was like, why are you doing like 10,000, like fire hydrant kicks with no weight? Like <laughs> nothing is going to happen. And I was like, this is what I have to do. And then I started, I met a trainer that I really liked and started lifting weights. And I was like, wait, I love this. I feel stronger and better than ever. And I was bummed. I didn't start doing it until later in life. I feel the same way. It's mm-hmm. like, I think people think that like, if you lift heavy weights, you're suddenly going to become the Hulk, it's which not- you were for Halloween, yeah. by the way, that was amazing. That <laughs> tutorial was insane. Um, but it's like, you have to eat a very specific way to put on muscle. And even then it takes so long, yeah. especially as women, our body's like, yeah, I, I feel you. I, I didn't start lifting weights for ages. Once I was like training to run a marathon and my agent was like, um, that's going to make your legs bulky. And I was like, thanks yeah. for letting me know. I'll stop now. Like, right. Insane. Like, yeah. Absolutely insane. It's so true. But yeah. you, you believe it. And yeah, it's so true though. Like my trainer was like a body is a bodybuilder and she was like, it takes so much work and mm-hmm. effort and planning and a lot of calories to get to the point that you're deathly afraid to get to. So anyway, there's definitely a lot of misinformation around that yeah, as well. Yeah, bad science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so with that picture of like your life prior to modeling, transitioning to the fashion industry, like when did you start modeling and how did the process begin? So I started modeling in my junior year of high school. I got scouted at a mall in Connecticut, Danbury Mall, which is a very lit mall. (laughs) I've been there, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I didn't have a great mall up in the Hudson Valley, so we went to the Danbury Mall. Um, And someone scouted me there. There was like a modeling competition happening there, like... I guess you would call it a competition. And there were a bunch of agents there. And then someone approached my mom and I, and I met kind of like my mother agent at the time. Then I came to Manhattan and I kind of met with an agency. It all happened very quickly. I have to say like that happened. And then I was like, okay, this lady's going to like take me to meet an agency, I guess. And my parents were excited. I was excited. Like I was kind of like, sure, why not? People had told me I should be a model when I was younger. But I mean, especially back in like 2007, eight, like, there wasn't as much connectivity as there is today with social media and like all these things. Like if you knew someone who knew someone in the industry that was like, wow, you could make it or be in it. It was rare. So then I um, went to Manhattan and I went on a few castings like that day, literally after I went to go meet with an agency and I was working within the week for Ralph Lauren. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It was really crazy. And I was still in high school. I was still working at a pizzeria. I was still, you know, I was going to school and I still remember when like the first magazine came out or editorial I was ever in it was I brought the magazine to school and I was literally like I don't want to brag but this is pretty (laughs) awesome like (laughs) it's pretty crazy how did your friends all react it's so funny my friends I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I was friends with in high school and they were there they were and are exactly the same they're just like that's cool I guess like if that's what you want to do like do you but I think we were so involved in like sports and high school drama like it was kind of just like a blip on the radar I felt like they never really like it didn't change any of my relationships weirdly with my family or my friends which actually I think is a blessing without a doubt there's something so grounding about being able to come home Mm -hmm. to people who just know you as the person before you started modeling exactly like it's really amazing what was the hardest thing for you to transition to the fashion industry oh man (laughs) I mean I think I think the hardest thing was like being judged on my appearance and my ability to succeed being based on purely like measurements or a number on a scale. It was just so tethered to that, the way I looked to success. 
And it just in high school, you know, or when you're growing up, it, it's not that, you know, you're, you're trying to do other things and succeed in other ways. And then all of a sudden I became hyper aware of my physical body and what it looked like every single day. And it became like every day I was checking what I looked like in the mirror and do I look different or better or worse? Or, you know, that was a really hard transition and something that like, I think even if you are a model or not, I know teen girls are probably doing this as well, but it just really, and I probably was already starting to become aware of my body at that time, you know, when your, your body starts to change in high school. But I think that was a hard adjustment. Yeah. It yeah. definitely like focuses you in and cause there's nothing else you can really control about your career. Mm-hmm. Your body becomes the point of like, all right, I can control this. Exactly. That's all I can do. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to like 17 year old Emily? Who's like just starting out in the fashion industry. Oh my God. I think I would, um, I would definitely tell myself to be less hard on myself because I just was so in my head and so concerned with what other people thought of me. And it really like hindered my ability to function in so many situations because I was just so worried what other people thought. And I think I would tell myself that, you know, people are not thinking about you as much as you think they are. (laughs) They're thinking about themselves. Most people are concerned with themselves and they're not judging you as harshly or looking at you as harshly. I mean, even in our industry where they kind of are, but not even as much as you think. And I also think I would tell myself to be more curious and ask more questions and figure out what you can gain and learn from more situations. I was always so in a hurry to get out of where I was or finish the job or leave the location. I know you know this feeling. I just wanted to go home always and be safe and alone. And, you know, that's how I recharged. And then I wish that I would have learned more from the people I was around. Today I do that. And on set I do that. And I feel like there's always something to learn from other people. But when I was younger, I was very much more close-minded and I was just ready to be out of there. I could definitely relate to that. And like some of the friendships that I've made now in the industry from like hanging out and talking and getting to know people, like they've been some of the like most life-saving relationships I think I've had in my life. But you can't do that if you're in your head as much as you can be sometimes. And I I think I remember reading this on your blog at one point, Bridget, but like if you're on a shoot and you feel like maybe the client's not happy with you or something's not going well and you automatically, I would assume it's my fault. It's because I don't look good. It's because I'm not skinny. And like you really, I I mean, I'm like, everyone does this. I'm like, no, it might just be me. Um, But I I would spiral. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can't do anything else. Mm. You're just stuck you're like only stuck in your head and it would really just hinder my ability to do anything or Mm -hmm. be be in the moment yeah it definitely takes me out of the moment and the reality is like no one cares as much about you than you do (laughs) and like realizing that as a grown-up I guess I'm pretty much a grown-up now (laughs) like realizing that is the most freeing thing it's like oh okay like I'm good like no one's gonna like think about me the way I do (laughs) exactly I never thought I would be so reassured by the fact that like no one cares about you you're like amazing like I can just keep doing me this is good (laughs) you've got so much going on in your life like you're so busy you have like this amazing YouTube channel you're studying I think are you still studying yeah no not anymore but I'll remember us (laughs) having a chat about studying the same thing at the same time like I guess what would you like the public to know about who you are outside of your identity as a model Yeah. I mean, I think my YouTube channel, the reason why I love it so much is because it has allowed me to show the world more of who I am outside of my identity as a model. And I think 
that outside of being a model who's someone who goes to work and gets hair and makeup styling and all those things and is transformed into something, I'm just a regular person with pretty much normal everyday struggles and dramas and stresses and anxiety and all of those things and just trying to learn and get better as a human. Um, But I think my YouTube channel has allowed me to show people that you know, I don't always look like this glamazon person. Like I wake up like not looking that great, but like, I love being able to show that on my YouTube channel because, you know, it's just amazing to be able to break out of a two dimensional image. And for so long, we would just see people probably see me on billboards or people like my favorite thing that people ever say to me is when I speak, whether it be in a video or on set and they go, I never expected you to sound like the way that you do. <laughs> and because you have such an idea of what someone's going to say, like and people would always be like I figured you were Brazilian or more exotic and I'm like nope I am American as it gets like you know but that's what I think my identity I being able to show people who I am outside of that two-dimensional image that I think has been built up over the years it took me a long time to feel comfortable revealing that because I was like I kind of hid behind that because I was like you don't need to know more I don't think anyone cares to know more that there's more to say or to do but that has definitely changed over time yeah it definitely seems that way and I feel like that's a really good time to kind of go deeper and go yeah. beyond the exterior <laughs> and take over Dr. Allen. Great. So thank you so much for participating in our podcast. So before I begin, a friendly reminder for our listeners that this podcast is for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. And also note that this segment does not reflect what would actually occur during a comprehensive psychiatric evaluation or an actual therapy session. Good disclaimer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> have to say that. All right. So Emily, yeah. so happy to have you here. So Very recently, um, we know that you've opened up publicly about body image. And I'm curious, and I'd love to for our listeners to know, why did you decide to do that? What were your motivations? Yeah. Um, You know, it's funny because it was always a story that I held very close to my heart. But at the same time, it's something that I knew that so many models that we've ever I've ever spoken to go through it. And I think any normal person, especially women out there, we go through this like internal struggle with loving our bodies and being at peace with it. I think I felt motivated to do that video, though. And this might sound like I felt like body positivity and like it's, it's, it's almost trendy now, right? Like people are very into this concept and I'm so happy about that. I'm so happy to see the industry changing and evolving, seeing more shapes and sizes on the runways. I'm so jazzed about all of that. But at the same time, I felt like being body positive and like loving yourself was just like some, it's something, it sounded like it was something that just wakes up and it happens. Like, you're just like, do you know, I like just love my body. Whereas I don't think that's the case for anyone. I think it takes a lot of work and effort and time and like self work and to get to a point where you're at peace with your body and who you are. At least that was my experience. So I felt like it was kind of like there's, it it sounded like there was just this end goal of like, I love my body. Whereas I think it's more of a conversation and an evolution and something that's going to change forever with time. Like I know one day I'll have children and my body will do a whole new thing that I'll have to deal with and figure out. So to answer your question more concisely, I think it was just to share with people that like I struggle with this idea to be body positive and be comfortable in my own skin, even though I'm a model and someone who people probably look at and think like her body's perfect. Her life is perfect. She has it figured out. I know that I growing up and like even being in this industry, I would look at models like 
you know, famous models and be like, they're always skinny and they always look good and they have it figured out and they, they must never struggle with what I struggle with. And then you end up talking to these girls and they totally do. So I think I just wanted to share with people models, not models that I struggle with it. And it's something that I'm like working on daily. Yeah. So the struggle is universal, right? And I know Bridget has brought up in the past body neutrality. I'm going to say, it sounds like it's like moving towards a place of body neutrality because like Forcing yourself to be positive about your body feels as like damaging mm-hmm. and fake as force as, as hating your body. Right. Like I would always, I'm, I very much like the term body neutrality because it's like, I have a body, like I'm wearing clothes, I'm alive, I'm healthy. Like that's about as much energy that needs to go into it. I agree. I like that. Was it difficult for you to open up about this topic? Yeah, I mean, I only filmed that video once. And it's funny because sometimes when I film videos for YouTube, it takes a couple tries. And that was something that I was just like, I'm just going to tell the story like I would to my best friend or to someone that I love. Um, But it was difficult in the sense, and I think that I was afraid to open up about this, about the topic in general, because I, I didn't want to bash the industry or, you know, like, um, bite the hand that feeds me. Right. Like I didn't want to bring everyone down with me because I was struggling with my own identity and like my body and all of those things. And I was afraid to kind of lose this career or lose the momentum that I had at some point, but actually it was the total opposite. But I think that's also very much because of the climate and like where things are at today, because I know for a fact that speaking about body positivity or like struggles is not, has not, was not as well received years ago. I saw a good definition of body image the other day, and I'll read you the quote. It's from the National Eating Disorders Collaboration, which says, quote, the perception that a person has of their physical self and the thoughts and feelings that result from that perception. So based on that definition, I'm curious, what was your perception of your physical body or your body image prior to starting modeling? Well, you know, it's funny because I... I did I did think about my body and the way that it looked from a pretty young age and I think that's because like it exists today like music it, then it was like Britney Spears in a music video like I was comparing my body to celebrities and people and wanted to look like them or maybe the prettiest girl in my school I felt like I was always very aware of my body and what it looked like in comparison to others so yeah I remember always but I wasn't dieting or doing anything to change it I was just kind of like oh my body's like this I wish it was like this and then when I went into like junior, senior of high school, I was like, oh, I can change this. There's something I can do about it. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. I was actually curious if there was any criticism, self-criticism towards your body prior to modeling. Yeah, I think that there was. I mean, I remember being aware of my body and jeans and all of those things in middle school. And jeans. Yeah. <laughs> you know what kind of jeans? I'm going to tell you what kind of jeans. Jeans with no pockets on the butt. Like that's Yes, I remember that time. Oh my god, like low riders flares and I oh. Yeah. And I was like, why doesn't my butt look like that girl's butt in her Hollister no pocket jeans? Like I don't get it. And I remember being aware of that, but I don't know. Well, you'll know this better than I do, but I feel like I don't know why I was programmed from a young age, like in sixth grade to already be like wondering why my body doesn't fit some sort of ideal. Right. And we can talk a little bit about that. Yes, in a bit. But it sounds like you didn't change your behavior before you started modeling as a result of it. So then 
let's talk about how your modeling career changed the perception. I know you have spoken about that, um, but especially in the early days of your career, tell us the process by which your behavior started to change. Yeah, I think I realized in my junior, senior of high school, I was like, you know, figuring out that like eating, if I wasn't eating Burger King every day after school, um, you know, that was better. I felt better and I looked better. And, you know, my, my skirt for, from school was a little less tight in the waistband. Like I remember. And then I think slowly, but surely, and this really, it really, um, accelerated when i lived, started living alone though, because, and I said this in my video, but when I was living at home with my parents and I was in school, I had a routine. I played sports. I was with friends and it was really easy to still remain in somewhat of a healthy routine. But when I moved to New York to pursue modeling full time, I was more isolated. And I think it allowed me to kind of start creating more unnatural habits that I didn't really have anyone around me to go like, girl, that's whack. Like, what are you doing? Or like my parents would be like, you're going to sit down and eat dinner with us, you know? But then when you're alone, it allows you to maybe create more unhealthy habits, which is, I think what started happening, especially when I moved to New York alone. Okay. So no oversight over meals specifically. Yeah. yeah. I think meals and I, the alone time was just did something to me for sure. Can you yeah. describe a little bit more about what it did to you? I think I was because there was so much added pressure because I moved to Manhattan and all of my friends went away to college. And I just was like, I have to be successful at this. Like if I'm the girl who went off to be a model, like I, I just felt like it would be so embarrassing if I failed. So it really put this like crazy pressure. I put this crazy pressure on myself that I was like, I have to be successful. And I looked around and I looked very different from other models that were around me at the time. I was always like a size four, six, but I got super, super lucky because I did work early on. I had my Maybelline contract and I did have this level of momentum that it was enough for me to pursue modeling full time. But it, I could not let go of the fact that I didn't look like my, the other models that I would see in magazines or at the agency. Like I was just like, well, I'm so much curvier and different and I don't fit clothes when I go to work. And I think I was just like, what do I need to do to change this? Yeah. So that's interesting. I'll stop you there for a second, because even though you had this contract, right, which I'm sure is a coveted thing. Yes. Um, <laughs> still, it's you were still getting set off or triggered by different oh, yeah. ideals around you. Yeah. It wasn't enough to like reinforce, okay, I have a, you know, I'm good the way I am. Yeah. I think that if I would have gone to college or stayed at home, it would have been enough. But because I was in Manhattan, which is such a competitive space to begin with, and then fashion is very competitive. And I just, you know, I was surrounded by people and agents who believed in me, which was a beautiful thing, but it was a lot of pressure too for a 17 year old to be like, I got to be, got to make it big. Like I got to figure out how to be the best at this. And I think that's when it, yeah. Absolutely. So like what I hear clearly is that like you had an internal drive to be successful. Definitely. And the indicator is how you look, mm -hmm. right? So that's a different way yeah. that you work towards that. Plus the external environment, you internalize what you felt you, where you wanted to be. Um, so given all of that, tell us a time after you started modeling where it was particularly difficult for you. Um, like dealing with my body and how I felt about yes. it. I think like uh, a particular time after modeling, I mean, 
there's so many moments in there because it's funny because I brought this up in my video, but I did get very, very, very thin at one point and I was so miserable. Like I still wasn't happy about the way that I looked. I was being like, I was over exercising. I was really just on this hamster wheel, like literally and figuratively. Yeah. Like, How old were you at that point? I was like 19. Okay. And what was your lowest weight or size? I think I remember I was like 115 pounds at one point and I'm like, 150 plus now. Okay. And so what's your like, height? I'm 5'10". Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so when you were at that weight, did you feel that you were overweight? No, I didn't feel that I was overweight, but I don't think that I um, took a moment to like let it sink in of how thin I was. And uh, Bridget, I'm sure you can like I can attest to this. Relate. Yeah. You, you're, you're like so inside your body that you can't see it. Like you were so out of touch with everything. And then you know, it's unfortunate, but when you're that small, a lot of, you get a lot of compliments. People want to know, what are you doing? What are you eating? What trainer are you going to? And I think that can drive that further too. Cause you're like, clearly I'm doing something right. But yeah, I, I never felt overweight or anything. I just later I did, but then I was just like, still so bummed because it, it didn't like accelerate my career the way that I wanted it to. It, it didn't. Yeah. Okay. However, but it was positively reinforced. Yes. Oh, yes. To shift topics a bit, you mentioned to us that weight fluctuation has been a pattern for you. Did the fluctuations in weight affect your self-esteem? I think the fluctuation is the hardest thing. Yeah, it's heartbreaking because you work so yeah. hard to get so small, but then you're at such an unnatural like weight for your height. So your body like wants to put on weight. And yeah. then when you start eating, you put on more weight than you had in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then you feel like you've let everyone down and you just like self-flagellation. Like it's yeah. horrible for your self-esteem. It's so not sustainable for anyone to think that you're going to remain at the same weight for forever. Like it's not like I, but I thought that that's what models did. I would look around and see, you know, like the models that I thought were super successful. And I was like, they're always the same weight. Every time I see a picture of them, they look the same. Like, why can't I do that? And then there's the added level of like, then I would, you see people and I would be like, did they know I gained weight? Did they know that like, can they tell? Did I? And then like obsessively checking yourself and being like, like not being able to tell. Yeah. It, it, it affected my self-esteem so much. And I just couldn't, I, it was hard to function when I would be at work. I just we, kind of how we touched on earlier. I just was thought everyone was thinking about how big I was. And they definitely weren't like when I look back, I'm like, it was like a perfectly pleasant shoot day. And, you know, there are other times that were not, but there are times that I knew I was overthinking it. And do you think anyone could tell from the outside what was going on in terms of the overthinking? Probably. Yeah. Think so? I think that they could. I, I, if they were in two, in any way intuitive. Yeah. Especially when I was younger. I mean, I'm kind of the type of person, like I'm like emotional, like I'll put it everywhere. Like I will tell you whoever's closest, like I did not care. And also I was really lucky to have my Maybelline contract because I worked with the same people consistently, but then I would be like, do they know? Cause I see them all the time. And I would be like, are they judging me? Do they care? Meanwhile, they, they didn't like, they were so great about that, but I, just so zeroed in on that. Were you able to find support around this and talk to people about it? Yeah, I spoke with my mom about it a lot. Luckily, my parents are super supportive, especially my mom. And I had friends around me. And my friends from home could not understand it because they were like, you look so good. Like they had all Honestly, they were all away at college and just gained like the freshman 15. 
And I was there going in the other direction. And they're like, Emily, shut up. You look great. Even though I was like not being very healthy, but I had my parents, which was really nice. And I had a few friends, but it's sort of a double-edged sword being close with models. I think sometimes because it's too close to home, they, it would resonate so much with them. And then it can spiral in the other direction where they would be like, well, now I'm a vegan and now I'm doing this. And I'd be like, oh, maybe I need to be a vegan now. Maybe that's, you know, the solution, but it was still a level of support for sure. Like knowing that other people were going through it, other models. And during the periods where your weight was lower, what was your diet like? Like, what were you eating? Oh my God. I went through so many different phases. I got very obsessed with certain foods. I've seen For what example? Yeah. Like I remember at one point I would only eat like a certain kind of squash. Very strange. Um, (laughs) Also went through the same thing with Honeycrisp apples, uh, Coke Zero, cashews, like, but separated, like not all in the same day. Like it was like, I'm only eating this food right now. And I remember at one point I did not eat protein because I didn't want to build muscle back to that concept. Right. It worked. I lost a lot of weight, but also muscle. And I was like, we don't endorse, endorse this as a weight loss method, by the way. I know. know. (laughs) That's why I, that's why honestly in my body positivity video, I did not mention how I was eating when I looked the way that I did, because I, I knew that people did comment too. And I delete them. People commented like, what were you eating? Like in the picture on the left. And I didn't want to encourage people to think that like, they're like, Oh, well yeah, it's twisted, but it worked. Like, you know, yeah, I can attest to that. I remember when I had my eating disorder, I read like Portia de Rossi's autobiography. I read like every single autobiography of anyone who's ever written about having an eating disorder. And then yeah. I was like, all right, what there can I incorporate into my life? Exactly. So it's, it's twisted. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. I've also noticed like, when I got better with my model friends, I just like very, very was like, okay, no more talking about food. Like right. I can't, I literally don't have the bandwidth for it. Like, yeah. I can't handle it. And it's been amazing. I feel yeah. like a lot of girls are just like, well, thank God. I don't want to talk about food anymore either. Yeah. It's, I, like, it's a huge focus for yeah. models and people. It, it definitely. And it's funny because I have some friends that have weathered all of like that evolution. And now some of my girlfriends, we never talk about food, but there were times in our friendships where it was the sole focus. Mm -hmm. What are you eating? What kind of workout are you doing? How much are you eating? Are you going to a nutritionist? What is that like? Like it was just so centered around that, like, because I guess our whole worth was. So when you were doing these calorie restricted Mm -hmm. diets, how were you feeling? Weirdly, I think when I think back on it, like I definitely felt stressed, a very strange stress because you, there's a rigidity that, I don't know, you just feel like you can only do certain things and you have to work out a certain amount and you have to, you know, like it was very rigid. Um, but like in terms of how I was emotionally and sort of, I was kind of fine because I kind of thought I was doing the right thing at the time. At 18, 19, I thought I was doing my job. So that always hindered a lot of, and kind of clouded my judgment, I think, because I was like, you know, like any job, there are certain things you have to do, and this is mine, you know? But then later you realize, like, you you don't actually have to Exactly, and <laughs> so what's your view on yourself and that now? I, oh God, it, I, I can't even explain how different I feel about like my body and 
food and all of those things like and it's still changing even now like I'm to be honest like I even up until like the last year or so I avoided carbohydrates like the plague same I thought fruit was gonna make me fat yeah (laughs) and I'm in my second year of nutrition yeah my bachelor's like it's crazy I and only this year, even after my body positivity video, even then I was not really eating grains or like there were still no, no foods and things that I just like was like, I don't eat that even though like I still would eat dessert and stuff like that. But when I was in certain, like my daily routine, I'd be like, Oh no, no, I don't, I don't want to eat. So what's the fear? Is it just fear of gaining weight or is it something else? It was fear of gaining weight. It was always the fear of gaining weight. And, but now it's funny, like with time you realize that like, even if you do eat kind of whatever you want one day or two days, or three days, it really doesn't make a difference. Like it's fine, but you think it's going to change overnight. You're like, I had dessert. Oh, I would be like, I got to go to the gym like ASAP. Like I got to go fix that. Whereas now it's like, this is a long game of life. Like if every day I'm waking up being stressed about what I eat the day before, it's not going to be fun for sure. Did you ever notice your energy levels change or difficulty in concentrating when you were not eating a lot? Yeah, definitely then. But also when I gained weight as well, I felt that way because I would go in the other direction. And I think I was eating, meaning eating, overeating, binging. Yeah. Okay. I think I was, when I was under eating, I was so amped and driven in those moments that I didn't allow myself maybe to feel, it's hard, like... It sounds like you were driven by success, right? So you're on a mission. Yeah. And like, also I wasn't in a relationship and I, like I said, the isolation, like I could have very well not been concentrating and all of those things, but like I wasn't interacting with that many people. Whereas now I'm married and like, I have so, I have friends and people that would, I would be able to know that, or like I, so you're held accountable. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. You you did. Yeah. So explicitly, let me ask you something else. Um, so have you ever binged? Yeah. Okay. And have you ever gotten rid of food by vomiting or laxatives or other means? Never that way. I've never done vomiting or anything like that, but I definitely done that. Tell us about what your binge is. I I would definitely classify myself as some, like an emotional eater. It's very comforting to me. And I, I still struggle with this. It's just something like if I have a hard day or a long day or something's going on internally, like I want to eat like, and it's like, when it has to be something like salty and filling and something like that, I'm trying to just be more at peace with that, but it's still a work in progress because it's still something that I, I reach to. Um, have you ever experienced severe anxiety or what you understand to be depression, like clinical depression? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, having anxiety is something I deal with daily and in my life. I think, I think a lot of people, so many people do. Like, I feel like today we realize that everyone struggles with that. And it's very common. Yeah, yeah, it's so common. And sometimes I try to use that anxiety as fuel for other things. Like, I'm trying to use it in a positive way. Like, sometimes I feel anxious and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to like plow through 10,000 emails and like edit a video and just like try to like use that energy for good. Um, and then I have absolutely been depressed before too. And it's funny because I didn't start realizing it until recently, but I actually like suffered from depression depression I think even as like a young child at one point like I look back to these times and I don't think my parents knew but 
I know now. And then in my adult life, I've had a few spurts where it actually like even recently in the last year, it happened to me. And I like would not allow myself to accept. I was like, I'm definitely getting sick. I was like, I'm coming down with something. I was like, I'm exhausted. I like have like, feel like I have an elephant on my chest. I'm so tired. I just want to sleep. I have no interest in talk. I was like, gosh, this flu. I was like, it is bad. (laughs) And then like after the second week, I was like, okay, this is actually like not the flu. Wow. And then my mom came down and from the, like from upstate and then it was like a whole journey from there, but I've definitely, but it was funny cause I didn't want to accept it and I didn't want to think, and it, I still, it still hits me some, not, it doesn't hit me. I describe it as like a dark stormy cloud that I can see coming my way. What I could not accept about it was I was like, there's nothing wrong. Like literally I'm perfectly happy. I'm healthy. I'm married to someone that I love who loves me. Like I have such a healthy life. And then I would see it coming and I would be like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like the why? Well, like I, it's so good down here. Like literally that is how I think about it. And I can see it coming and I'm literally like crap. Does anyone in your family, biological relatives, suffer from depression? I don't think depression, but anxiety for sure. I feel like that's something that runs in the blood. And they can go hand in hand. Yeah. Okay. And did you ever seek out help from anyone in behavioral health, psychiatrist or therapist? And what was that experience like for you? Yeah. I go to therapy now. I go by myself and I go with my husband and it's incredibly helpful and I love it. And it's really great because I feel like she is a good fit for me and someone that her language and the way she speaks and her practices resonate with me. And she kind of gives me like a toolbox to sort of work with, which I really like. Like, it's not just what happens in the session, but I feel like it always leaves me with a better understanding of how I can do things better. Um, So looking back, how do you think, whether it's the weight fluctuations or your views of body image and how success pushed you to change your behavior around eating, how do you think that could have been prevented for you? To be honest, I don't think it could have. I, it had its place and I don't like it. It was a means it it needed to happen. I don't think it could have been prevented in a way because only because I'm so grateful for what my being able to start modeling when I was a, a junior, like I wouldn't change anything that happened because I don't think at the age of 28 that I am now, I would have been able to be at peace and be able to like get to where I'm at now. I think I I still would be struggling. And I know a lot of my friends who struggle so much with this who are outside of this industry, but I don't think it could have been prevented because I think it would have happened at some scale at some point for sure. Because like I said, I was aware of my body from as long as I could remember of what it looked like in comparison to others. And like, I think my drive for success, like I think some sort of unhealthy behaviors would have bubbled up. And I think it does for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. It would have happened, I think in some capacity at any point, like no matter my path. And during times where you were depressed, how did your view of your body change, if at all? I think, honestly, when I would like go through those moments and when I'm, when I have been depressed, um, I do, I feel so useless. Like my body, I feel, I definitely in those moments feel less focused on what it looks like because I also remember whenever I go into those states, I lose weight because I'm not really eating, but it's never, you're never really jazzed about it in those moments. Obviously I think I feel so disconnected to it and I don't even look at it and like 
care about it or am not grateful for it. I'm just like functioning barely. You lose interest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And if you could go back in time and have a chance to do anything over again, what would you change if anything? I think, I think what I would have done is, um, try new things sooner. And what I'm outside of modeling. And what I mean by that is like, you know, I did a yoga teacher training. I did a nutrition course. I went to Columbia for a few semesters. The reason why that's so tied to like my body image and who I am is because I think for so long I was only modeling and I was so focused on that and the success there and my body. And I could not leave that bubble. Like I couldn't leave it until I forced myself to try something. And I felt so vulnerable and so scared in those moments and so stupid sometimes, and just like not worthy of doing those things. But it saved me in my YouTube channel. It saved me from allowing myself to sit inside myself and focus on my weight and my body and working out and what food I'm going to eat next. And I ate this, this, and this today. But when you're not doing anything else, that's what you do. You're only going to do that. And only when I started focusing on other things that had nothing to do with my appearance, I could break the cycle. Okay. Yeah. It's like you freed up mental space. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, well I can't think about food all day, every day. Cause I have to write this paper. Exactly. I have to do this. When going to school and like actually using my brain and starting writing the blog was so helpful to my recovery. Therapy. Like, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Cause then you, yeah. you, you build, you build self-confidence. You're yeah. like, Oh, I can do so much more. Oh than my I God. Thought. Like I'm not just like a body and a head. And yeah. It's, it's like, but you get so into that space. And even when I went to Columbia, I, I was so stressed at that time. I got so sick because I was so stressed. And when I would be writing a paper, I would be like, who do I think I am writing a paper? Like, I don't know anything. And like, I don't know how to do this. And then I would get like an A and I would be like friends with my professor. And I'd be like, wait a minute, I'm capable. Like, holy crap. Like (laughs) I could not believe it. I really couldn't. And then that like compounded when you start doing other things. And then I was like, I'm so capable of doing other things. Even if I can't model and I'm not thin or whatever I am, there's still a million other things you can do. And I don't think I could have process that. Right. So the measure of success was different, exactly. a different indicator. Totally. Okay. And the distraction is good, um, as well as speaking about it. And I was wondering, mm-hmm. like, as part of recovery mm-hmm. from all of this, what value has your YouTube channel, you know, given yeah. you? Was it brought to you? I mean, I think my YouTube channel has just given me an outlet for creativity and sort of this control over and like control over my narrative in a way that cannot be done in so many other ways. It's funny because like with Instagram, sometimes it's just um, just more two-dimensional images of people looking good. And even I am subject to that, like what Instagram kind of is. Whereas I think YouTube allows for a bit more realness. and But more so, I just love the element of creativity. I love editing the content. I love creating it. I love planning it. I kind of just look at it like, what am I interested in? And how can I create content around that? And it just made me realize that I'm interested in things that I didn't know that I'm interested in. Like even when I started editing my own videos, I was like, I was obsessed. I was in absolute flow state 24 seven. I was, my husband was like, you need to get out from the computer. Your eyes are so bloodshot. And I was like, I can't <laughs> like, I was so crazy, but it, it, it has, it has completely opened up and given me so much 
purpose without that. Like, because even now when I would travel alone for work and I, Bridget, we kind of talked about this, I would get so depressed when I would be alone and isolated and like with people I didn't know. And now every moment is an opportunity for like content or a video or meeting someone that we could do something interesting together. Or maybe I can learn something here. Like even on set, I'm like, wait, what program are you using? Like, what is that? (laughs) Like so into it. So yeah, it's really helped me in that way. And sitting here today, just the external view, my, my view is that you look extremely healthy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So however, how do you feel about your body today? I love my body now. Like I, I look at it so differently now. I think honestly, like lifting weights and changing the way I think about working out, even again, not until recently, like I would work out every single day, no matter what. Whereas now I skip days all the time and I'm like, it's fine. It doesn't matter. But I think now I just look as at my body and like overall health as something that's like a priority to me, but only before the longevity of life, not because I'm trying to please others. It's just like, so that I feel good and I can do the things that I want to do, be there for my husband, be there for my family. Like it's not about pleasing anyone else. Whereas for so long, it was all about that. It was like, what are other people going to think about the way that I look? Are they going to think I'm thin? Are they going to think my stomach's flat? Like all of those things where now it's just like, as long as I'm good with it, everyone else has to be good with it. So obviously a lot of people all over the world of all ages struggle with their own perception of their body, maybe how others perceive them. What advice would you give to others who are sitting out there and listening to you right now? I think, crap, that's so hard. Well, how would you answer that, Bridget? I think my advice is always to get involved in something beyond, like, you know, like we were just talking about, Mm -hmm. discover like what your body is capable of doing uh, that doesn't come from a place of like denying it, like Mm -hmm. basic nutrition. So like try out a new sport, go to school, I hang out with your friends, do something that interests you, Mm -hmm. do a painting, like whatever. Um, And kind of focus on how it feels to do something and create something and like use your body for like what it is made there for, Yeah, you know, instead of like viewing it as something to wage war against. I mean, honestly, my first thing is always like get into therapy. If you're like, you know, if you're feeling the need to control your food or control your nutrition, to me, that's like a way of controlling your standing in the Mm -hmm. world. It's like diminishing your power and strength. And that is something that's usually a deeper issue that needs to be explored. But then beyond that, yeah, it's like the amount of self-worth that comes from like achieving things Mm -hmm. that you never thought you could is like life-changing. It's a game changer. Yeah. I think I would probably say the same thing. I think the first thing I would say is like, you're so much more than like what your body looks like. There is, you have so much more to give and you might not know that. I didn't know that. Maybe you didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah. But you can't know that until you start trying things. And one thing is that I would really veer away from challenging myself and trying things. Like my husband really encouraged me to like apply to Columbia and like do my yoga teacher training. And I would be so uncomfortable in those moments. Like I would be like, this is terrible. I would be like, this is the worst thing ever. I'm so uncomfortable. This must be wrong. But like, it's okay to have those feelings of like uncomfortableness, like you're learning and you're growing. And those are actually like the best moments ever. So I think I would say that like, 
you know, to focus on other things. And when those other things are uncomfortable or not easy, like that, that's actually a good thing and that you shouldn't run away from that feeling. It's a good Nothing, thing to grow. If you, if you live a life where you don't like push yourself, like you're never going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. But like the amount of power that comes from being uncomfortable and like just showing up no matter what, like it's pretty cool. Yeah. And you're going to fail. We all fail. I failed yeah. so many times. Yeah. And like school, every, my husband can attest to this, like every new unit, uh, probably about four times in each unit. I'm like, I don't ever want to do this. I'm stupid. I don't want to go to school. Yeah. Like, what do I think I'm doing? But then it's like, I just sit down and I just like do the next right thing mm-hmm. until I pull myself out of that like yeah. little kissy fit. <laughs> yeah. And I think for so many years, I spent so much time literally doing nothing. Like yeah. I was just waiting for the next modeling job or waiting for my agent to call me or waiting to go somewhere. And there would be very long spurts of time where I was not doing anything. And I was very isolated and not trying things because I was always reserving so much time and energy for this potential next job that I might have or this next trip. And I know models all do this. We stop ourselves from committing to things because we might have to travel next week or we might have to go somewhere. We might have a job next week. Whereas I was just kind of like, if I have to miss, you know, that one day of school or that one class or maybe even that one job, like that's okay. Like to make those sacrifices is okay, whether it's on either end. Okay, so there is more that I want to speak about, but we'll do that at the debrief for the video. Um, First of all, thank you so much for allowing us to talk about this. I know that it's personal, but you've been on a journey to open it up, and we appreciate it, and we hope that it will help people out there who are listening. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I have three more questions. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Two serious, one not so serious. First off, what's the best pizza place in New York? Oh my gosh, I, I think, I don't know. Uh, maybe Grimaldi's in Brooklyn. Okay, yeah, yeah that is good. <laughs> is that the place that Barack Obama went? No, uh, that's um, R- Roberta's, Roberta's. Oh, yeah. Oh, Roberta's is amazing. Also, Union Pizza Works in oh. Bushwick. Mm, amazing. All right, cool. <laughs> Sorry, Thank I you answered that. that question. <laughs> um, so, speaking personally, when I decided to just, like, transition to a healthier size and, like, and working as a model at this, like, healthier size, like, even though I know I'm doing exactly the right thing for my health, like even though I know that like I do not want to go back to where I was before, sometimes on set I'm I'm working and that voice in my head is just like, you're fat. The other mm-hmm. model's so much skinnier than you. Mm-hmm. Oh, those jeans didn't do up. You're a failure. And it's just like that awful circul- mm-hmm. circular voice that just doesn't let me alone. Do you get this? And if so, how do you deal with it? Like how do you fight oh, yeah. in the moment so you can just like pull through? Oh yeah, I get that for sure. I, it's like, it comes creeping in this negative voice and same thing. It can kind of like take over. But one thing that I think did help me, this is like, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I don't know the best practices, but I felt like I kind of had to take responsibility for kind of controlling my own thoughts and under understanding that I'm not my thoughts. Like being when the thoughts would creep in, I would let them take over my body. Whereas now, and I said this in my video, I am literally like, get the F out of my thoughts. I'm done with you. We have things to do. Like I need to do this job and I have dinner after this and I don't want to be sad. Like, uh, do I sound like I have some sort of other problem? No. Um, no. But like, <laughs> I good. literally had to, when the negative thoughts creep in, I had to take responsibility to say like, think about something more positive. Think about what you're grateful for. Thinking about what I'm grateful for 
is like a cure-all. Like whenever that comes in and I'm like, oh, I feel like fat or not good. I'm like, you know what? I'm just grateful that I like am on this job today. Like I'm grateful that I like have my husband to go home to, or like I'm grateful that my parents are still alive, that I can still walk. Like I get, can get super granular about it, but it really helps. But being like, I can't, like I take responsibility and I can control like my thoughts and my mood and like forcing myself to be positive. I love that. It's like our thoughts and our feelings are not us. Yeah. they all pass and it's like kind of what you do in the moment of strife that like controls how the rest of your day is going to be. Yeah. I'm usually like, I know you, I know this voice. I know where you come from. You are not me. You're a prick. And then I usually go and (laughs) go and eat some chocolate or something. And I'm like, all right, my day is mine again. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And that takes uh, like bringing awareness to that Mm -hmm. sometimes takes time. And also you're talking about being able to compartmentalize it and push it over here, like recognize it and like not act on it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people do have the tendency, tendency to have the thoughts and then they, their behavior changes as a result. Right. So learning how to modulate that oh, right, is a process in itself. Being therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Therapy, like being able to have a thought and not act on it was such an insane concept to me a couple of years ago before I started therapy. And then my therapist would be like, just think about your thoughts, like drifting clouds in the sky, like they're there and they're going by, but that doesn't mean that you need to like do something like they can just drift by. That's okay. And you can do something eventually, but I would always be like, no, I'm going to go tell that person right now what I think, because that thought popped into my head and I do not like it. My therapist was like, stop. (laughs) And now what do you do today? Hitting, learning how to hit the pause button on reacting is a gold mine. Like being able to have a thought or have a feeling and pause on it, reflect on it and decide what you were going to do. I felt so reactive. I'm very sensitive. Like I, my therapist diagnosed me as a highly sensitive person, person, HSP. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you don't know that documentary, you should go or that video, you should go watch it. But I just would act on every feeling or thought, or I would cry. I would do something. I would be like, it's just take over my body and be so anxious. Cause I'd be like, Oh my God. Remember that time, like four years ago when someone said this to me and like, what if that's happening again today? And then I'd be like, Oh no. I have anxiety. Um, but yeah, just being, allowing yourself to to, literally, I think like hit the pause button before you do anything, before you say anything, pause. Do you meditate? Occasionally. (laughs) And that's a really annoying question. No, it's, it's something that I wish I could get into a better habit about. My husband Kyle does every day, but yoga and Nathaniel every day. Yeah. I do too. Actually now I like, he's been a very good influence on me and like, it's been a part of my recovery. And I find when I'm in my meditation game and I'm actually like just doing it, I'm so much better at like taking Mm -hmm. a step between, but like, sometimes I just can't. Sometimes my mind, my hormones, everything is just like, react. Yeah. (laughs) I try to also like not think about meditation as something that has to be sitting down, like doing headspace, which I thought it was. I try to use meditation in, in other facets. This might not like make sense, but even if I'm walking, I will only walk and not listen to music while I do that. Or even sometimes cleaning or running on the track, whatever it is, only do that one thing and allow yourself to only be doing one thing at once and focusing on that in, in many ways, like, or even on an airplane, sometimes I'm like, I'm not going to read. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to look at the screen. Just sit here. I love doing that on planes. Yeah. Like it's amazing. Especially if the window seat, you can just look out and you just sit. Yeah. Like we don't sit and think anymore. I feel like as a kid, that's all I used to do. Yeah. And daydream. Yes. Daydreaming. Yeah. Detaching from my phone. It's so tethered to our jobs now and like social media and all those things. I also recently downloaded TikTok 
which I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared for the next generation. It is so addictive and I'm losing so much time. I'm like, do you have any advice for me? Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Delete the, the screen limit thing. I've heard of TikTok, but what is it? It's like for Gen Z kids and it's yeah. basically like what Vine was. It's 15 second videos where it's like very quick and fast and music is involved. And it's just like, it's so addictive. I don't know how they do it, but I can't get off of it when I start. But oh, it's wow. also so entertaining and it's more um, comedic than okay. Instagram. So you're really just getting like these 15 second videos that are pretty funny. So mm. it's like, I'm sure a major dopamine hit because you're like, ha yeah. ha, like every 15 seconds, like, ah, oh, that's. <laughs> That's funny, that's funny, that's funny. And then like three hours later, I'm like, oh, where am I? Like, what happened? I got that when I play The Sims. Oh my God. I still play The Sims. That is the second time I'm talking about The Sims this week. That's, really? Yes. Who else plays it? I used to play it. I mean, I, I feel like everyone of our generation yeah. used to play it, but I, I'm still playing it. I'm on like Sims 4 now and it's like amazing. That's and so amazing. Sometimes whenever my brain is just like, you know what, like we're done for the day. Like I just will put on like bad TV and I'll sit and play The Sims and Six hours will pass, and I'll be like, "My God, what that is I hilarious! Done? I love that about you, Bridget." And then so I like much. fall into an existential crisis because I'm like, "My Sims live a better life." Than <laughs> <I do." laughs> it's a whole other podcast. Oh my exactly. goodness! <laughs> exactly. Anywho, um, if you had 500 million Instagram followers and you could say anything to them about mental health, what would you tell them? <sighs> I think I would tell them that a they are not alone. And B, that it is okay to ask for help no matter what point or level that you're at. I think for myself, I felt a level of shame when I felt depressed and felt like people wouldn't understand or they would be, look at me and think my life was perfect and I didn't have anything to complain about. And there, I don't really have anything to complain about, but I needed help and it, it's okay to ask for help at any level that you're at. And one of my favorite quotes, Gloria Steinem requoted it, but I don't know who quoted it originally but it's like there can be no competition of tears it's like yeah. we all struggle we're all human and it's like just because the ex your exterior is what it is it doesn't deny the fact that you're still a human who goes through the same thing that everyone else does exactly i i like that yeah because for sure yes. giving you like a right to your story yes that was a big part of therapy for me the first year i was like you know i'm fine she's like well you're not yeah <laughs> let's try and get to the bottom of that it's like oh okay i'm allowed to be upset That's yeah cool. <laughs> wow groundbreaking yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah right yeah yes. Serious game sit with your feelings yeah okay shall we That's you are listening to model mentality welcome to let's get clinical by dr ali in this segment i explore connecting the dots between our guests personal stories and the larger mental health context you have just listened to our interview with emily didonato Let's review Emily's story. What stands out to me is her drive to succeed and how in the initial days of her career, this resulted in her energy being focused on her body and eating habits. She describes how she has struggled with body positivity, her own identity, and body image since then. Although her career has been indicative of success, such as having a Maybelline contract for a decade, she, like many other women, has gone through a process to accept her body and settle into life that holds her accountable to a healthier way of living. What stands out to me from a clinical perspective are three aspects of Emily's story, body image, eating disorders, and what constitutes a healthy diet. So let's talk about body image. What is body image? Body image is how you see your body in the mirror, how you feel about your body, what you think about your body, 
and what actions you take as a result of all of this. Or, according to the National Eating Disorders Collaboration, body image is, quote, the perception that a person has of their physical self and the thoughts and feelings that result from that perception, end quote. Emily asked me, why was she programmed to think about her body from the sixth grade? Well, body image development begins quite early. In fact, it starts as early as four to six years of age, and according to some experts, possibly earlier. So it's no surprise that Emily started to think about her body that early on. We heard in the interview that in the absence of the structure of her family's routine, unhealthy habits emerged as Emily started her modeling career and was living on her own. She describes herself as an emotional eater who binges but has never purged. So is this an eating disorder? When erratic eating habits progress to the point of overeating a disproportionate amount of food frequently or restricting to the point of abnormally low weight, this could be an eating disorder. The most common eating disorders are binge eating disorder, bulimia, and anorexia. The main differences are as follows. In binge eating disorder, which is the most common of the three, there is a loss of control around eating, resulting in frequent binging and feelings of guilt, shame, and embarrassment. People are generally overweight or obese because there aren't attempts to get rid of the food by vomiting or exercising. Bulimia, on the other hand, refers to a disorder with uncontrolled eating followed by attempts to get rid of food, such as through self-induced vomiting, laxative abuse, or excessive exercise. Anorexia, which is the least common of the three, refers to restriction of food intake leading to low body weight alongside an intense fear of gaining weight and a significant disturbance in body image. If you or a loved one is struggling with erratic eating habits, and this sounds like you, please seek help from a healthcare provider. And lastly, a note on diet. What Emily mentions about being preoccupied with only eating certain foods at certain times, such as cashews, apples, Coke Zero, of course, we're not endorsing this method. Now, I am not a nutritionist, and so I won't advise on diet, but I can tell you what a healthy diet looks like for me. And here are some general ground rules that I follow. I choose, for example, real foods as opposed to processed foods, organic or farm-fresh produce, foods loaded with essential vitamins and nutrients, the more colorful, the better, and lots of veggies, fatty foods in moderation, sugar and caffeine in moderation, and no caffeine after 12 noon, wild-caught fish, lean or organic meats, lots of seeds, and lots of nuts. So going back to Emily, bravo for her big reveal in 2019 on how she has struggled with her body image. I think this is an important story to hear. She, after all, has been the face of Maybelline for 10 years, and despite the visual imagery appearing flawless, she is human and struggles with the same things that many people face with regard to their bodies. Perhaps this is surprising to some of you. Many people struggle with body image and eating disorders, both within and outside of the modeling profession, and we want you to understand that you are not alone, that there is power in speaking up and in asking for and receiving help. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. Please check our show notes for references and more information on this episode. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 
8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on model mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.